you, but we're in this series called Happy, and we're talking about happiness. We are a culture that's addicted to happiness. We live in a society that spends tons of money on happiness, and yet here's what we've said every week. Every week we've gotten together, we've said that somehow we as a society are losing our smile. Somehow it happens, the older we get, the further we go along, we went from being like 19, or went from being about third in the world to 19th in the world in terms of the globe, in terms of the happiness index. Somehow we happen to be losing our smile. What makes it even more interesting to me is that Jesus, in the very first sermon that he preached, in the very first recorded sermon that he preached, the introduction's all about happiness. He uses the word blessed nine times. And so we just simply been looking at that. This word blessed means happy. It's a deep joy that's totally independent of external circumstances. That's what it is. It's something that we're longing for. It's something that we want. And so if you haven't been here for the time that we have kind of walked through this, we are literally at the tail end of it. We have next week and we're done. I'd encourage you to go online and check it out because what Jesus has said is revolutionary. It's countercultural. And he talks to us about what it means to be happy. And so each week, we just have taken the next one in line. So here's what I want to look at this morning. Here's what we're talking about. Matthew 5, 9. You with me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Or maybe we could substitute this word in there. Happy are the peacemakers. Let's think of it this way. Happy are the at-peace people who make peace, Right? Happy are the at-peace people who extend and make peace with other people. Now, let's just say some things. we got to build a foundation, and then we're going to dig in, okay? But, but it just makes sense that happiness and peace go together, right? I mean, that just makes sense. If I'm, if I'm at peace, then I'm going to be happy, and happiness and peace somehow hold hands. Here's the problem. The problem is this. When you look around the world, when you look around you, there's not a lot of peace, Right? There's not a lot of, I'm going to need, and I'm not feeling the best today, I'm going to need some feedback. There's not a lot of peace, am I right? Yeah, there's a lot of problems, not a lot of peace, right? There's a lot of pain, not a lot of peace. A lot of people panic, not a lot of peace. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of problems that people have, not a lot of peace, let alone the fact this planet is full of people and they have a way of stealing your peace, right? And so what God says in the middle of this, what Jesus seems to be saying is happiness and peace go together. See, you know this by observation, You can simply look at our world and say, I can see there's not a lot of peace in our world. Just turn on the TV, right? Watch the news. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, there's not a lot of peace. All of a sudden, you see the threat of nuclear war. You see chemical weapons being used in Syria. You see terrorist threats. You don't have to go beyond our borders to see that, right? You see political infighting taking place. You see uh, racial, racial tensions going on. You see school shootings. You see protests and pickets. Not a lot of peace, right? But for some of you, here's the deal. For some of you this morning, you don't even got to turn the TV on. You know why? Because you don't have to worry about not finding peace in the world. You can't find peace in your world, right? I mean, for some of you, it's just your circumstances. You're like, oh, man, damn, my finances are a wreck. My health is hijacked. My job is in jeopardy, whatever it might be. But you're looking at your circumstances right now, and you're like, there ain't a lot of peace in my world. My circumstances have found a way to steal my peace. Or if it's not your circumstances, guess what? You can look at some of your relationships. And for some of you, it's your relationships. And you're like, man, it's my relationships that have a way of stealing my peace. My marriage is a mess. My friends hurt me, right? My kids are all kind of sideways and going crazy. And so somehow my relationships have somehow stolen my peace. And so some of you are like, I don't even need to turn on the news. (laughs) I just need to look at my world. And, and then there's some of us in the room, there's some of us in the room right now, and here's the deal, it, it has nothing to do with circumstances and relationships, you just can't find peace inside yourself. Like it has nothing to do with circumstances and relationships, other people that are stealing your peace, you can't come to peace with yourself. You know why? Because you know your story and guilt has gripped you, the future scares you, and your shame, your shame is like a shadow that keeps following you. And so you hear Jesus say, happy are the peacemakers, and you're like, happy are the peacemakers? How in the world am I going to be a peacemaker? I can't even be at peace with myself. Some of you, and I've done this already twice today, some of you, and I know this to be true because each service I've talked to people, some of you have given up on the idea of peace, and therefore you've given up on the idea of happiness, and happiness and peace go together is what God seems to say, what Jesus seems to be teaching. 
So what's the secret? Well, I want to build a foundation. Look here a second. I want to, we got to do this to understand what Jesus is saying. We got to build a foundation and then we got to dig in. And I don't think everything we're going to talk about today is going to be easy. Is that okay? I don't think everything we're going to talk about today is going to be easy, but we're going to end in ways that are going to give you some real tangible, practical ways on what Jesus means when he says, happy are the peacemakers. You see, we live in a world in conflict, so when Jesus says this, it's countercultural. I want you to start, we got to start 30,000 feet. we got to get the big picture. Here's what I want you to know. God is a God of peace. I want you to know this. God is a God of peace. There's no blanks for this on your notes, but you ought to write this somewhere. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God of, say the word out loud, peace. God's a God of peace. Not only that, in the book of Isaiah, it prophesies Jesus being born, and it gives him a name. Look at what it says. For to us, a child is born. Many of you recognize this. You're like, that's a Christmas card. Yep, you probably see it on a Christmas card. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. This is talking about Jesus. Mighty God, Jesus is God with skin on, everlasting Father, Prince of, say the word out loud, peace. God is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of peace. Beyond that, I want you to hear me say this. This book is all about the story of God. I want you to get this. And the story of God, this is fascinating to me when it comes to peace. It starts with peace. Did you know that? God's story starts with peace. It starts in a garden, in this paradise of peace. God creates a man. He gives him a wife. They're walking around in this beautiful paradise of peace, and guess what it says? God walked with them in the cool of the day. That's fascinating to me. That sounds like a place I'd like to be. God's story starts with peace. When you get to the end of God's story, you see God's story ends with peace. That literally God's going to restore all things. And here's what it says. At the end of God's story, lion is going to lay down with a lamb. That's not normal, right? That's peace. God's story ends with peace. It begins with peace. God is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If you lay your Bible open, it might just open to Isaiah chapter 26. Some of you have heard this passage, and here's what it says. You will keep in perfect, what's the word? Peace. Those whose minds are steadfast or stayed on you because they trust in you. Here's the deal. I want you to get this, and then we're going to make some application. That God is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. God's story begins and ends with peace. In the middle, it's about peace, begs the question. What in the world happened to peace? Where did the peace go? Because some of us aren't feeling it. We don't see it in our world. We're in a world of conflict and turmoil. What happened? Well, when you read God's story, in order for the Bible to make sense to you and you get to Genesis chapter 3, not very far into God's story, you see that that first man who enjoyed this paradise of peace, walked with the God of peace, here's what he did. His name was Adam. He rejected. He rejected the God of peace. He decided to do things his own way. And at that moment, the entire human race and the story of the human race shifted and changed. Because at that moment, Adam, the first man, no longer enjoyed peace with the God of peace. Not only that, at that moment, Adam not only no longer enjoyed peace with God, he no longer experienced peace with his wife. He's blaming his wife for why he doesn't have peace with God. You see how there's not a whole lot new under the sun going on here? He doesn't have peace with God. He doesn't have peace with his wife. And they literally, they literally are asked to leave the paradise of peace. You see, the story in Genesis 3 is a story that has impacted each of us in this room. It has impacted humanity from that moment on. Because humanity from that moment on, stay with me, this is so important, understanding your Bibles. Humanity from that moment on has not been at peace with God. We literally are fighting with God. Some of you know that. Some of you feel that. Some of you know it intuitively. God seems to verify it. In Romans 5.10, he says, we were God's, what's the word? Say it out loud. Enemies. That's kind of strong. All he's saying is simply this, is that we're at war with God. We're fighting with God. Look here a second. Some of you already know that. Most of us intuitively, instinctively can put that together. You know how I know that? Because I've done a lot of funerals. And it seems like the number one thing people say when I'm getting ready to do their loved one or friend or whatever's funeral is did they make their peace with 
God. You've heard of it too. You see, somehow instinctively, intuitively, we know this to be the case, that we're fighting with God, that there's this strife, that we're not reconciled, that there's no peace. I love the fact that that little part of the verse is part of a bigger zip code. And the bigger zip code says this, we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, here's the part we said, while we were God's enemies, look at this, we, we were reconciled. What does that mean? All of a sudden, there was peace where there's conflict. That's what reconcile means. To him, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I need to teach you something, then we need to fly. Look here a second. We are not at peace with God. We're at war with God. I'm going to tell you something that's going to leave some of you like, what? Is that right? You cannot, listen, you cannot, you cannot make peace with God. There's some good news for a Sunday, right? You can't. Some of you are working yourself to death trying to make your peace with God. If I go to church more, if I'm more moral, if I become a better person, if I help my neighbor, if I, I'm going to make peace with God. If I make up for all the bad things I've done, I'm going to make my peace with God. You can't, God did. You can't, God did. God makes peace possible with him. How? Because Jesus came and died for all the things that have created conflict between me and God. And when he did that at the cross, I realized something important when it comes to understanding peace with God. At the cross, I understand that I, you, we can enjoy peace with God. It's the big word reconciliation. You got to understand this to understand your Bible, to understand what it means to be a peacemaker. When I say yes to Jesus, when I say yes to Jesus, I want you to know this, I go from being God's enemy to being his friend. That's fascinating, right? I, I go from being, this is what I look at, I like to think pictures. I go from being at war with God, I go from being at war with God to being invited around the family table. That's a big shift of picture, isn't it? Right? See, I can have peace with God when I say yes to Jesus because of what Jesus did. Now, here's the deal. The story of God doesn't end there. But the story of God, when you read the story of God, says that God is going to not only, he doesn't only make reconciliation possible, but he wants to restore peace. In fact, when you get to the end of the story of God in Revelation, look at what it says. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Look here a second. It's almost like, man, he was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, right? When you get to the end of the story, it's like, wow, sounds like we're going to restore some of that. That's kind of cool. And then look at this. Tell me this. Tell me this doesn't sound like good news. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Anybody looking forward to that? Y'all aren't very talkative this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. Anybody looking forward to that? Yeah, I am too. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. He's going to restore peace. I want you to write it this way, that those who enjoy peace with God can expect peace on earth. That's restoration. We can expect peace on earth. This is so important to understand when you're reading your Bible we are at war with God. When we say yes to Jesus because of what he did, I can have peace with God. Only those who have peace with God can expect peace on earth. He's going to make all things new. He's going to restore. And why that is important is this, is only those who expect peace on earth because they have enjoyed peace with God, this is so key, can experience something the Bible talks about that helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. Look at Philippians 4. This is all framework. We've got to understand this. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever worry about something in this room? Anybody ever get anxious about something? It says, I don't want you to. But in every situation, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the, say those words out loud with me, peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, literally stand guard over your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying that I can enjoy peace with God, only those people can expect peace on earth, and only those who have peace with God can experience the peace of God. 
I want you to hear me say this. Peace with God comes when I ask the Prince of Peace to be my Savior. He died in my place, saved me from my sins. Doesn't stop there. The experiencing the peace of God is saying, I want the Prince of Peace to be the leader in my life. I want to tell you something to understand peace. Okay? Peace, listen close, because some of you I can see it in your eyes. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence. If peace is the absence of conflict, we will never experience peace in, in this life. Am I right? You tracking with me? Peace is not the absence of You know what it is? It's the presence of a person, the Prince of Peace. The minute I say yes to Jesus, Prince of Peace saves me. I'm at peace with God. Prince of Peace leads me. I'm going to go through a life full of conflict where people are hungry for peace. And so that as I walk through life with you, you can experience a peace that passes understanding. And I become part of a community of peace. That's what the church is. And so the church is a place where the Prince of Peace smashes down walls our world builds. It's like, I'm going to smash down gender walls, socioeconomic walls, racial walls, political party walls. I'm going to smash those down. Why? The church is a community of peace. You're saying, Dan, why are you getting all razzed up by that? Because you can't understand what I'm going to say last until you understand this. So let me ask you a question, okay? And then, I'm going to, then, then we're going to take this where we need to be. Are you at peace with God? Don't answer too quick. I didn't ask you if you've gone to church for a long time. I didn't ask you if you're a good person. You're probably better than me. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you at peace with God? Because if you're trusting in what you are doing, you're not at peace with God. The only way for you to be at peace with God is to trust what he did. And only when you're at peace with God can you expect peace on earth. Only those who are at peace with God can expect peace on earth. And only those who expect peace on earth because they enjoy peace with God can experience the peace of God. And listen, here's where we need to go today. And only those people can extend peace to others. Only people who experience the peace of God can begin extending peace to others. Jesus said, happy are the peacemakers. Now I want to show you a passage of scripture to help make this make sense. Romans 12, 18. You ought to, you ought to highlight this in your Bibles. Write it down somewhere. Look it up later. But it's on the screen. I want you to look at it with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on, say the word out loud, you live at peace with everyone. Here's what Jesus seems to be saying. He says, happy are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are those who experience the peace of God. And those who experience the peace of God extend peace in a world that is looking for and longing for it. And so we got to spend the rest of our time, the next few minutes, saying, okay, then how in the world do I extend peace in a world that's looking for it? Three ways. Three ways. Get your pens ready. I'd love for you to write some things down. Some have fill in the blanks, but I got more than just to fill in the blanks. So I've had people complaining all morning, and I'm fine with it. They said, Dan, you didn't give me enough room to write, so get ready, okay? Because I have a lot of things that I want to share with you, and I think they'll be very helpful. How in the world do you and I extend peace to others, how do we be peacemakers? First and foremost, here's what it means. I will serve others' needs. I will serve others' needs. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. This is so important. Only those, only those who are at peace, expect peace and experience peace, can do this in a way that truly serves others for the sake of others. I'm gonna show you what I mean. Jesus had a half-brother. I told you this last week. His name was? Some of you remember, his name was James. He wrote a letter in the Bible, right? He gives us the secret to why many of us aren't experiencing peace this morning. Let me show you what I mean. James chapter 4, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Why isn't there peace among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Here's the secret to why some of us aren't experiencing peace this morning. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. What James is saying is this, ready? What James is saying is that inside of each of us, there's a little narcissist that once, it's true, 
Don't send me an email on that one. It's true, right? That, that there's something inside of each of us that wants what we want, how we want it, when we want it. And when we don't get it, it creates something inside of us, a restlessness that has to go get what it is that we want. And so what happens when we go get what we want, it creates this lack of peace and we're not free to serve others. That's why Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, I don't want you doing anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. It's fascinating, right? He's saying, happier the selfless. Happier those who put others' needs in front of their own. Happier those who empty their life for the benefit of others. Can I tell you something? It's always interesting to me when God says something God says something in his word, and then we find research and articles that all of a sudden figure it out, and they're like, hey, we found this great new idea, right? And God's been saying it for years and years and years. Found this little statement that said this. See if you can't relate. It said there's a Chinese saying that goes this way. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. Amen? This is, this is not that hour, by the way, Okay. <laughs> I see somebody in the room that's really happy right now. I'm kidding. If you want happiness, now a wife just went like this to her husband. Like, if you want happiness for a day, go fishing. Any fishermen in the room? If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, ready? Help somebody. It's interesting, right? In fact, they've done research. And this is interesting to me, and I can't, you know, but I, I looked, looked all this up, and they did research, and, and through this technology, this fMRI technology, they began studying the brain, and they realized that when we help others, or when we volunteer, or we give to others, it activates the same part of our brain that activates when we eat something that's really, really good, or we're, when we have sex. It's in the, like some of you, it's in, it's in the article. And what they, what they concluded was this giving and helping others makes us happy. You tracking with me? It's interesting because we have to go to all this work and yet Jesus says, hey, happier those who make peace. Happier those who serve others. Happier those who enter a room and think, what do others need from me instead of what are others thinking of me? Guys, think about this. Only those who are at peace can do that. What is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying middle school students in the room. Happy is the middle school student who sees a kid sitting alone at lunch and decides to go sit with that kid instead of needing to be cool and sitting at the cool table. That's what he's saying. He's saying happy is the high school student who determines to help others, particularly the ones that everyone else overlooks, even if it gets them absolutely nothing in return. He's saying happy is the young adult who takes time to listen to others instead of always having to be the loudest person in the room. He's saying happy is the neighbor, happy is the neighbor who takes time away from manicuring his own lawn because he sees the needs in his neighborhood and decides I'll do something about it. He's saying happy is the church who determines to serve their community instead of always demanding their voice and opinions be heard. Happy are those who do all they can to bring a little peace to someone else by lifting a need for them. You see, here's the deal. Oh, listen, this is so key. Only those that are truly at peace inside of themselves are free to think of others. I promise you. Because when I am at peace inside of myself, I'm free to give. When I have to validate me, when I'm not sure who I am, I enter a room. This is the way it works. This is why middle school and high school was a nightmare for some of us. I enter a room and the first thing I think is, do I look okay? Am I popular? What are those people thinking about who? Me, 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 me. Why? Because I'm not at peace. I'm not at peace. And so the first thing I think, maybe you struggled with it coming in here today, is me. Why? Because I'm not at peace. You see how that works? It's fascinating. You see, only those who are at peace with God, expect peace on earth, can experience the peace of God, and they're free to give. Listen, this is, this is the kicker. They're free to serve, not because the people they're serving deserve it. Sometimes they don't. 
they're married people, listen close to what I'm gonna say. They're free to serve, not hoping the person they're serving is gonna serve them down the road. Sometimes they won't. They're free to serve, you know why? Because we've been served by God in order that we might have peace with God. Did you know that? You see, the rest of the passage is so important. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to even death on a cross. Listen, listen. The gospel is what drives. I had somebody say to me this one time. Okay? They said, why do you every week mention the gospel? I'm going to teach you guys something. When I'm dead and gone, this is the thing I want to stick. I don't plan on dying soon, but when I'm dead and gone, this is what I want to stick. I want you to remember this, okay? Some of you grew up in church, and and these are the people that have the hardest time with this. Some of us grew up in church, and we think of the gospel, okay? Some of you have talked to me about this, and and you've got to hear me say this. I think about this all the time. You see the gospel as the ABCs to get you saved, And then the Bible is about living the Christian life, and you misunderstand the Bible. The gospel is how I enjoy peace with God, and it's how I experience the peace of God. The gospel is how I'm saved and how I live. The gospel is what motivates, leads, inspires, and drives everything about the Christian life. It's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It's not like, I know the gospel, I'm saved, now I need to get on to deeper things, baloney. The gospel, you don't understand the gospel then. He says, I can serve others because I understand that the gospel tells me I've been served by God. What if they don't serve me back? I've already been served. I'm not serving for them to serve me. I'm serving from the fact that I've been served. It's fascinating, right? He says, happy are the peacemakers. He says, the happier are the ones who serve the needs of others. There's something else. Listen, we're going to get personal here, okay? There's something else that's stealing some of our peace in the room. You know what that is? It's when we have a conflict in a relationship. Shake your head if you know what I mean. That will steal. Don't look at him. Just shake your head, okay? I got some of you that keep looking at each other. Okay, I can see you, okay? I said that, and they're like, Like that, all right? I'm glad you came with them, but it will steal our peace. And so here's the deal. Jesus said, happy are the peacemakers. They serve others' needs, and not only that, but I'll settle my conflicts. I want you to write it down. It means I will settle my conflicts. This seems to be ultra important to God in understanding what it means to be a peacemaker. You're saying, how do you know that? Look at what Jesus says a little later in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, look here, let's, let's make this simple and understandable. What's he saying? Just put it in, in our language. He's saying if you're at church and you remember you got a conflict, that's what he's saying. He's saying if you're at church and you're getting ready to give your offering, sing a worship song, and there remember you have a conflict, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. You mean right in the middle of church? Mm -hmm. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. What is he saying? He's saying that sometimes there's family conflict in-house and sometimes there's conflict from without. But he's saying this is so important in understanding what it means to be a peacemaker, to extend peace in the middle of relationships where there's conflict. So here's the question. How in the world do I do that? I want you to get your pens ready. I've got four or five things I want you to write down. If you're married, thinking about getting married, you really need to write these things down, Okay. If you have conflict in your life, teenagers, you need to write this thing down, okay? Young adults, you need to write this thing down, okay? Four or five things. Middle school students, I want you to write some of this down because you will, that means everybody in the room, get a pen, okay? (laughs) How do we do this? How do we do this? First and foremost, 
if you and I are going to settle our conflicts, I got to be willing to make the first move. Jesus says, first go. He said, you be the first to go. I want you to make the first move. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever have this experience? Everybody, anybody in the room ever get in a fight with their spouse? Not that. Don't raise your hand. But, but when you're in a fight with your spouse, you think you're pretty certain that you're right in the fight. Y'all keep looking at each other. There's a couple of people looking at each other. You, and here's what happens. When, when you get in a fight with your spouse, there's, there's conflict. You're tracking with me. And you're pretty sure you're right. What's the response? I'm the one who's right. I'm going to what? Wait for what? them to come to me to make things right. I'm going to let you in a little secret, okay? Whether it's a spouse or a friend or whatever, I'm going to let you in a secret. If it works the way it does in my home, I'm just going to tell you something. She thinks she's right too, okay? And you know what happens? She thinks she's right, and she's going to wait for me to come to make things right, and you know what happens? You end up giving each other the silent treatment. You've heard of it. You see, what's fascinating is this. Why in the world, Dan, should I make the first move? Particularly if I think I'm right. You know why? Because in my relationship with God, there was conflict. And the only one in the relationship who did everything right was who? God. And guess who made the first move? You see how the gospel is what drives everything? It's the gospel. That the only way for me to be at peace with God is why? Because he made the move towards me. He sent Jesus. He did nothing wrong. And so when it comes to settling my conflict, I got to make the first. This is so important to Jesus. He said, hey, man, if you got to get up and leave church, then go make things right. Like, I want you to be a peacemaker. Beyond that, Jesus, then in the same sermon, says something else that helps us. He says, don't judge. You'll too be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's he saying? I want you to write it down this way. It's a long statement, but it's worth writing down. Let it percolate. He simply is saying, with a need... So when there's somebody in need, I look out for others first. But when it comes to a conflict, I look in at me first. That's what he's saying. When there's a need, I'm looking out at others first. I'm putting others first. That was our first point. But when there's a conflict, he simply is saying, I'm looking in at me first. Only those who have peace with God have the freedom to do that. You know why? Because only those people are humble enough to look inside themselves. Why? Because they know already who they are, what's inside of them. You see, here's the deal. It's being humble enough, listen, to say, have I contributed somehow to the conflict? It's being humble enough to say, is there some way in which I intentionally or unintentionally provoke this? It's being humble enough to say, was it my tone of voice? Did I somehow participate in this? You see, here's, here's what I'm saying. Then we've got to go to the next one. Most of us in conflict, you know what we do? We focus on what? What the other person did. Right? Which leads to this next point. I want you to write it down. I'm going to explain it. When it comes to a conflict, I look in at me first, and then I understand to resolve before demanding to be right. Write it down. Let's explain it. I understand to resolve before demanding to be right. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. This is, this is confession time. I won't raise the hands. How many of you in the room think you're right a lot of the time? Raise your hand. rest of you lying, okay? Put your hands down. Okay? Here, here, here's the deal. How many of you are married to somebody who thinks they're right all the time? Don't raise your, don't do that. <laughs> here, here's the deal. I want to tell you something about conflict, okay? Uh, if you're here and, and, and you've never experienced I want to tell you something about conflict, okay? Conflict is not necessarily bad. You need to know this. Con- conflict is not necessarily bad. I'm going to give you a, a, a little secret. When I do premarital counseling, I always talk to the couple about conflict. I think I shared this one Sunday, but, but I had a couple come in, they were trying to get brownie points with the preacher, 
Because I said, hey, tell me, when you guys fight, what do you fight about? And they said, oh, nothing. You know, like he's going to pass us and marry us. And this is what I said to them. That's too bad. Why do you say conflict's not necessarily bad? Because conflict, when you pursue resolution, listen, conflict pursues understanding that allows me to apply wisdom. Sometimes in conflict, I can begin to understand deeper. And when I understand deeper, all of a sudden, I can apply wisdom. You see, my wife and I did not understand this when we were first married. And the main problem was me. See, if you've been coming any length of time, I'll just admit that when we were first married, we were not good at conflict. And the reason we weren't good at conflict had everything to do with me, very little to do with her. And the reason it had everything to do with me is because I can win, even to this day, every argument we ever have. You ask her, I can win every argument. I'm more competitive than she is, more outgoing, quicker with my words, all those kind of things, and I like to win. And so when we were early married, guess what? I wanted to win. And guess what? I did. Because she eventually like, okay, you win. And that made me mad, right? But she's like, okay. She'd just kind of stop. And I all of a sudden realized something. This is an important point. That I was winning the argument, losing the relationship. You see, here's the deal. When I elevate being right over the relationship, I begin losing the relationship. There's no peace. But when I elevate the relationship over the conflict, then I want to pursue resolving the conflict. And so what I do is I try to resolve the conflict, and I had a guy teach me this. He said, why don't you quit spending so much time being right and begin asking her a question when there's conflict? I said, what's the question? He said, the question is simply this, help me understand, and then fill in the blank. Help me understand why this frustrates you. Help me understand why this hurts you. Help me understand. And he said, here's the deal. When you begin to understand, then you can, with wisdom, be her husband. And the relationship matters more than being right. See how it works? It's interesting. You see, James, Jesus' half-brother, says something interesting when it comes to this. In chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why? Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. Here's the deal. Make the first move. Look inside first. Understand to resolve. And then I want you to write this down. Then, then, humbly, humbly confess when wrong. And humbly forgive when wronged. Humbly confess when wrong. It's going to the other and saying, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Can I, can I just simply ask this question? What is it? What is it that keeps us from humbly asking another person for forgiveness? You know what it is? P-R-I-D-E. I do not want to be wrong. And yet, this seems to be so important that James chapter 5 says this. James chapter 5 says this. There we go. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. You see, here's the deal. Being a peacemaker is being humble enough to go and say, I'm sorry, I hurt you. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Now, here's the deal. The very same pride, you ready? The very same pride that keeps me from going and asking for forgiveness, I want you to dial in now. We're going to get real in a second. Is the very same pride that keeps me from extending forgiveness to somebody who needs that from me. You see, why am I saying this? Because some of you have no peace in your life. You know why? Because there's conflict. You know why? Because you will not go and ask for forgiveness. But they, I look inside first. Well, I, I look inside first. And others of you have no peace and therefore no happiness. You know why? Because somebody came and asked you, and you want me to forgive you after what you've done to me? And only those who enjoy this kind of peace will understand what it means to extend that kind of peace. You see how that works? It's the only way it connects which begs a question that's really, really hard. 
saying, Dan, it sounds great. What do I do when someone does something wrong to me and they could care less? And they do not want to reconcile the relationship. Can, can I be honest with you guys for a second? You want to know what steals peace from me? That. That. Over the years, you want to know what has stolen peace from me? That. That's hard, isn't it? And So let me remind you of the passage on your outline. If it's possible, as far as it depends on, say the word out loud, you live at peace with everyone. You mean even those people? Yeah, because here's the deal. That verse is in a zip code. And we got to back out of that verse and we got to see the bigger zip code. Look what it says. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you and I extend peace to others? I want you to write it down this way. I think what he seems to be saying is simply this, that I need to respond to cruelty with kindness and let God settle my score. I need to respond to cruelty with kindness As much as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace. I need to leave revenge and justice to a God who's better at it. And in the face of meanness, extend kindness. Listen close. In the face of cruelty, I extend kindness. Here's what it means. Here's what it means. It means that when somebody does something, when somebody does something, I don't give them, I don't give them, Ready? I, we, got, we got the number. We can take it down. I, I want you to hear this. I had a lady this morning say this, this totally set on edge or something in her life. Okay, so I want you to get this. That's why I talked about it. When I have that kind of situation in my life, I don't give them what they deserve. I give them what they need. Sound familiar? That's the only way we can have peace with God. You see, what if somehow in my kindness, in the middle of their cruelty, I point them to a cross that shows them how they can be reconciled to a God that they are at war with? You see, the people who are being mean and cruel aren't at peace inside themselves. It reminds me of a story. I saw this happen. I was in the fourth grade. My father, my father was an amazing man. My father had a profound impact on my life. I watched this play out one day when I was in the fourth grade. I played flag football. I was the quarterback for our team. I remember we showed up to play, and it was a very important game, and all the kids are there, and everybody's excited for the game, and yet one of the referees didn't show up. So we couldn't start the game because we didn't have two referees, and so people started begging and imploring somebody to referee the game. Nobody wants to ref the game, right? They eventually came to my father, and they said, John, will you please referee this football game? Will you please jump in here and be the referee? My dad, with some reluctance, said, I'll referee the game. He put the whistle around his neck. We began to play. It's a very important game. And it was back and forth. And one play in particular, they snapped the ball to me. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember it better than it really happened, right? I ran down the right sideline, almost the whole length of the field, scored a touchdown. My entire team went crazy. It put us ahead in the game. Everybody's cheering. It's, oh, it's incredible. I remember we're celebrating. There's euphoria. It's like, awesome. This is great. We're going to win. You scored a touchdown. And then I saw out of the corner of my eye somebody from the opposing team sideline. This guy was a big old guy. 
he came running across the field right from my father. He got about this far from my father. And he began calling my father every name you can imagine. Combinations that this fourth grader had never heard. He began calling my dad. He began accusing him. He stepped out of bounds. You're only doing that because he's your son. All kinds of things. He began accusing my father of who did not want to referee that game. He then challenged to fight my dad. He was so frustrated at that moment. He was so angry. My father may be the meekest man I've ever known. My father was not weak, but my father was meek. I watched my father as he began to absorb the spit from this guy as he's yelling at him. I am not my father. As a little fourth grade boy who just scored a touchdown watching my father be assaulted, I began to run after this man. I have no idea what I was going to do when I got there. I began yelling at this man as my father just stood there. I remember they had to literally drag this guy off the field. I remember going home. We won the game. I didn't feel any elation from the victory. None. But you know what I do remember? A couple weeks later, that man whose name was Mike was in the hospital. Do you want to know who went to visit him? My father. And my father stood over his bedside, the same guy who wanted to punch his lights out and extended kindness to him and he had the chance to lead Mike to an understanding of how he could be at peace with God. You see, what if our kindness in the middle of cruelty pointed to a bigger kindness? Happy are the peacemakers because they'll serve the needs of others. They'll settle their conflicts because they realize I'm going to share God's good news. I'm going to share this story of peace that God is reconciling himself to the world. I want you to cross the room to do me a favor. I'd love for you to get in a space where you're just with your thoughts. I'd love for you to bow your heads. I'd love for you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable with that. I just want to talk to you. I beg of you to you can leave your stuff in your lap. I don't want you to miss this moment. I've been thinking about you this week and praying for you, and some of you this morning are not at peace with God. You're trying your hardest to get to the point where you can make your peace with God. And this morning God says, stop and accept my invitation to be at peace with me. Stop trusting what you're doing and start trusting what Jesus did. Maybe this morning you say yes to the Prince of Peace, the one who died in your place for everything that has created conflict between you and God. And if somehow you, this moment, have had that conversation with God, I want to hear from you. Email, connection card, somehow. You know, the truth is there's a lot of you in the room that you've said yes to Jesus, but if you're honest, the Prince of Peace who saved you hasn't been leading you recently. You've stopped experiencing the peace of God, and therefore you've stopped stopped extending the peace of God, and there's conflict all around you seems to follow you. Maybe the Prince of Peace's invitation to you this morning is to somehow begin to allow the Prince of Peace who saved you to be the leader and the Lord of your life. And when that begins to happen, you begin to serve and settle and share with others. Some of you are in high school and middle school. Can I ask you this question in the quietness of this moment? Who's that kid? Oh, come on, you know. Who's that kid? Who's that person? Who's that person that is just desperate for somebody to notice them, to sit with them, 
to invite them to be a part of the party. Who is it? Only those who are at peace are free to serve. Some of you are going to drive home to a neighborhood. Who are the people in your neighborhood that right now they need some peace? They need somebody to come alongside and lift a burden they have. There's some of you that are sitting here this morning and maybe it's not the other people that need served. Maybe it's the conflicts that need settled. Can I ask you this? What's the phone call you need to make the moment you leave this place? What's the letter you need to write, the email, the person you need to visit? Who is that person? Is it your son? Is it your daughter? Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife? Who is it? What's it going to take for you to make the first move? God made the first move towards you. it mean for you to humbly look inside yourself and say, I wonder how I contributed unintentionally or intentionally. What would it mean for me to resolve this conflict? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you have a mic in your life. You're more wired like me than my dad. You're a fighter. You want justice. What would it mean this morning for you to allow God to settle your score and for you to begin to extend kindness to those who are even cruel? What might that look like? How might that point to a greater kindness that we see at the cross? God, I don't know where each of my friends are at, but I can tell you this, if we're just shooting straight and being honest, we need help with this one. This does not come easy and it's not natural. But God, we want to be peacemakers who serve the needs of others, who settle our conflicts and who share this good news of peace and reconciliation that we can have with with you because of Christ. So God, help us where it's hard. God, I pray that you'd help us to be ambassadors of peace in a world that is longing for, looking for, thirsty for, hungry for peace. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.